Well, good morning, church family. So glad that you're here this morning in this Christmas season. It's a great time to be a part of God's church. And it's so good to see so many of you in your ugly Christmas sweaters. I have my ugly Christmas sweater. And uh, I came up here yesterday and tried it on and looked at it and, and thought, you know, I don't think I can preach in this thing. You know, but you have to see the back to really appreciate. But, uh, yeah, I, I love it. I uh, love seeing the ugly Christmas sweaters. Hey, as your pastor, I do need to say this for the, for the sake of church unity and uh, getting along and those kind of things. Is, um, before you go up to somebody today and you're like, dude, I love your ugly Christmas sweater, please make sure it's their ugly Christmas sweater. <laughs> it's a pro tip. I said that to my uh, mother-in-law a few years ago, and that wasn't good right before Christmas. So, um, yeah, just, yeah. For whatever it's worth. You know, it's, it's great to be talking about this, this idea of being home for Christmas. And for some of you, you get to an age and a stage of life where you know how the excitement builds when it's time to come home for Christmas. Some of you may be in an age and stage of life where you have uh, maybe family members that are far away. Maybe it's your kids and maybe they're at college somewhere. Maybe it's a few hours away. Maybe it's a state or two away. And them coming home for Christmas and arriving is way different. You know, your, your, your child that's just, you know, coming, coming home every day, you know, that's one thing. But when your child that you haven't seen in a couple months, it's a couple states away, is coming home for Christmas, it's exciting. Now, back in the day when we didn't have GPS tracking and we didn't have cell phones and all that kind of stuff, you had no idea when they were going to show up, right? You knew, you knew a date and an approximate window of time. And if they used the calling card and stopped at the gas station and went to the payphone and told you, hey, I think we're going to be there between 2 and 4, you might have a window. But you did not anticipate it like you do today. With, with the cell phones and you GPS track them like all good parents do. Okay, you know exactly when they're coming home. And I remember this because I had uh, our oldest uh, stayed away in Missouri going to school. And I remember what it was like when she came home for Christmas break. And, you know, we're tracking her the whole time. Okay, she's in Tulsa. Okay, she's, you know, by the Garber exit. Okay, she's on the edge of Enid. You know, now it's getting really exciting. Okay, she's at the intersection of Van Buren and Owen K. Gary. And okay, you know, and she's coming home. And what it's like, you know, you're, you're out in the driveway and they get out of the car and you run and you hug them and you're so glad that they're there. It's just this excitement about them coming home for Christmas. And here's one thing I want us to understand this morning, is this is the way God feels about us. For so many of you that maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he is tracking you. He is waiting for you to come home. And the best time to come home, I think, is Christmas. Because he wants this relationship with you. He's waiting on you. He wants to, to see you pull in the driveway and, and to throw his arms around you and to love you and to start this relationship with you. And so if you are outside of Christ Jesus, I just pray you'd open your hearts and your minds to not only today's message, but all of the messaging you've heard during the Christmas season. Because God is calling you home. And we want to be home for Christmas. One of the scriptures that just frames up this series is found in John chapter 1 verse 14 and we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks and today I will just tell you the sermon's a little different than normal. There's not a lot of note taking in it but lots of scriptures and we'll be uh, skipping back and forth between Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel so you're welcome to follow along in your Bible as always. It's a great day to be in the app as well because all the verses will be there in order for you. If you just download the Oakwood app go to sermon notes um, everything will be there for you this morning. But John chapter 1, verse 14 says this. The Word, with a capital W, which we know is reference to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Word became flesh 
And he made his dwelling among us. He wants to be home with us. He made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He made his dwelling among us. He came into the world. And, and you might see this morning I've got something a little different on my table than I normally have. I have a nativity set. Okay? I love the nativity. All right, this is a, I call this one a classic, right? Okay, and I don't know how well you can see it, which is why you should always sit down front in church, uh, how well you can see it in the back here. But this is a very traditional uh, Christmas nativity set, okay? And, 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 and I love this. In fact, one of my bucket list things is I want this in my front yard someday. But do you know how expensive those nativity sets are? I was just pricing them out this week. I was like, wow, okay, I have to you know, take half your retirement to pay for the nativity set. But, you know, I, that's, what, that's my dream. I want one of those in my yard that, you know, I, I love life-size, you know, six-foot shepherds and stuff. But, you know, you know, they're usually, what, 48 inches maybe, those big ones that are, you know, in some of the yards or maybe in front of some churches. And they have those nativity scenes that are out. And I just, I just love those because it's the true meaning of Christmas. It's really what the season is about. It's about Jesus, the Son of God, coming into the world. And even this set here is very, very pricey. I mean, a set like this right here can, like, be 300 bucks. I mean, in, in some ways I'm like, oh, you know, but in some ways I'm like, I get it, you know. They're ornate and the figurines, you know, and, and they're hard to put together. And, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're really, really cool. I love the nativity, and, and the nativity is kind of weird. I mean, if you think about it, when do you use the word nativity? And do you even know what the word means? Because if you look it up, just like in Webster's Dictionary, nativity means the occasion of someone's birth. But we've made such a big deal out of the word nativity and the nativity scene that there's actually a definition in Webster's that says specifically in reference to the, to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, being born into the world. The occasion of Jesus' birth is what we call nativity. So you wouldn't go around and say, hey, when I was born in, you know, 1981 and in the, the, the nativity of my birth, you know, it's like you wouldn't talk like that. But if you say nativity today, you immediately think this. And even the world immediately thinks this, you know, capital N nativity, nativity scene. And what I want to do today is go through some of the characters of Christmas in this nativity scene because I want us to just think about kind of building on what we talked about the first week of this series, that all these people, we, we were talking about travel, that all these people were traveling to Bethlehem to be a part of this nativity story and this nativity scene. And they were, they were, a lot of them were far from home, and yet they were coming home in a strange way. And what, is that, what does that mean for us? And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, is though these people are far from their homes at Christmas. They found their home in this nativity scene. And so let's, let's think about this. And so I want to begin this morning. We're going to begin in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 18 uh, through 21. It's the, uh, just an intro to the story of Joseph, okay? So here's Joseph in, in our nativity scene. Now, Joseph here to me looks a little older than Joseph probably was. Most scholars believe, you know, 17, 18, 19, maybe 20 uh, Joseph here looks about 45 to me, um, fully bearded. Uh, this is really awesome because he has this little lantern. That lantern is legit, you know. You can take it off. And, and so, but, but Joseph, you know, is the earthly father 
of Jesus Christ. Very important character in our nativity, seeing our nativity story. So let's read about him. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the laws of God and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she'll give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Joseph is from Nazareth, and, you know, he's a carpenter, right? He's minding his own business. He's doing his thing. He, he finds this lovely, fair maiden, Mary, and, and says, hey, I want to marry this girl. And they, they enter into the Jewish customs of of getting married, and, 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 and she is his betrothed. And in the middle of that, he finds out that she's pregnant. Now, we know that he's a good and godly man because it says in here he knows the law. He knows what God wants. He knows what God requires. It says that he wants to keep the law, but at the same time, he's a man full of grace and love and, pa- and compassion for Mary because he says, hey, I don't want him. I mean, the law had some, some rules about this stuff. I don't want them to stone her to death. I don't want her to be an outcast of the culture and of, of society. I don't want her to be shunned from the village where her family is. It, I, I'll just divorce her quietly. We'll just call this thing off. We'll quit talking about it, and, and maybe it'll just go away. And so he decides, hey, I'm going to divorce her quietly. And then he has this angel, this angelic visit. This says, hey, Joseph, what's, what's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's just like she told you. I know it's weird. I know it's hard to understand, but... And we see from that point forward that Joseph is a faithful man. And that Joseph is going to take care of Mary as, as, she, as he takes care of her as they make the journey. Remember, it's because of his lineage and being of the house of David that he has to go to where? The town of David, the city of David, which is Bethlehem. And when that census order happens, he's got to return to his hometown. And, and they're betrothed, and she's like in her ninth month of pregnancy. And so he takes care of her all the way down to Bethlehem. And even beyond Bethlehem, he takes care of Mary and Jesus. Whether it leads them to Egypt, running from Herod, and eventually back to Nazareth. Joseph is a very important character in the story. And yet I wonder, did he struggle feeling far from home? Well, I mean, didn't, wasn't it his heart's desire that, you know, the baby would come after they were officially married and they'd come together and they could have had the baby in Nazareth and the grandmas and grandpas would all make over the little baby. And God had a different plan. And Joseph was part of that and remained faithful. Then we get to another character. Uh, man, you, I mean, you cannot miss this lady in Scripture, uh, Mary. And I don't know what your nativity set uh, maybe looks like. This one does a good job. She looks young to me. Most scholars believe 14, 15, 16 years old maybe for Mary. And this one, she not only looks young, but the positions of Mary around the manger and in the stable sometimes differ. Sometimes she's standing, but many times she's kneeling. Her face is very peaceful and serene after just having a baby. That's probably not reality check. 
I expect her to be sprawled out, man. You know, Joseph, you know, I mean, you got to remember where she's at. She's, she's like in a, in a barn, you know, like in a stable and, you know, lays Jesus in a manger. It's, she's, I mean, she just gave birth, folks. Have you ever seen a woman after she gives birth? No. I mean, except on those sick Facebook posts, you know, but most of the time that's not, that's not you don't want to post her, okay? She just gave birth. There's, you know, you know, sometimes I hear the song Silent Night. I'm like, no, loud night, screaming and gnashing of teeth and, you know, having a baby kind of night. And then the baby's born and, but let's read about Mary. It's found in Luke's gospel. So if you're in Matthew, go two books over to Luke chapter one, verse 26. It says this of Mary, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled. She was perplexed at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Folks, that's a lot to consume right there if you're a Jew. I mean, this is like all the prophecies and all the fulfillment of the Messiah coming, and this baby you're going to have is going to be all these things, Mary. And her response in verse 34 is, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, I'm old enough to know how these things work. And I am a virgin, and so how will this be? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, Mary you're going to have the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month now, for no word from God will ever fail. Some translations there say nothing is impossible with God. And then we look at verse 38, and we read Mary's response. She said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary, angel visit. Hard choice to make. And yet her response is, you know what? I know it's going to be hard. People might talk. My family might disown me, and I don't know what Joseph's reaction to this is going to be, but I'm the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. I think her son might say that later. Not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then you think about her journeys. You talk about someone missing home. Christmas, Nazareth, you know, all the way down to Bethlehem in her ninth month of pregnancy. Then your baby's going to be born in a stable with these animals around it. Now, these are nice little cleaned up animals. I mean, look at the gold and white cloth that the cow and the donkey are both covered in. Um, Little sheep over here. But you see this and you're like, wow, but she's faithful. And she says, hey, I'm the Lord's servant. It may be as the Lord says. 
I don't know that her dream for her first child's birth had barnyard animals and a feeding trough in it. But she says, God, I'm your servant. Even to the point of after Jesus is born, fleeing to Egypt, she probably didn't see her family for two and a half to three years after the birth of Jesus. And she's trying to escape Herod's edict to kill all the baby boys two years and under, sends them to Egypt, then back to Judea, then back to Nazareth eventually. Can you imagine what that would be like? Maybe needing that support system, but not having it in your greatest time of need. And yet Mary is faithful. Great character of the nativity. Then the next part is the shepherds. The shepherds. I love the story of the shepherds. Here's the shepherd in the, this nativity scene. Now what I don't like about shepherds in nativity scenes is like so many times they give us one. You know, it's like there was like shepherds. It was always plural in the scripture. There should be more than one in your nativity scene. But, you know, and these, these guys, I mean, this guy looks a little rough. And they were, these were rough characters. I mean, these were your blue-collar guys, and they are out getting their hands dirty. And they always had, you know, dirt under their fingernails. And they always smelled like the fields and everything because these guys were hardworking out there guarding and abiding uh, with their sheep and keeping watch over their flocks even at night and keeping all the, the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, away from their flocks and trying to preserve. A lot of times these guys didn't own the sheep they were watching. Some, some rich guy owned the sheep. They were just the guys serving out in the fields and keeping watch over them. But it is amazing that they too are a part of the nativity. Let's read about them. It's found in Luke's Gospel Chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. It says this, and there were, and I'm, I'm gonna, I recited this, I learned this as a child, so I'm going to kind of go back to an earlier version. It won't match the text on the screen or in the notes exactly. Um, it's actually harder for me to read it than just recite it. But, uh, and there were in that same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were sore afraid. That means they were terribly fearful. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people, for everyone, for everyone, even you shepherds. For unto you is born this day, right over here in Bethlehem, the city of David, the town of David, is a Savior. And he is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And they're like, what? Feeding trough? For real? I wouldn't put a baby in a feeding trough. Well, that will be the sign to you. You will find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there appeared with the angel the great heavenly host. That's the, all the armies of heaven. The angel armies of heaven appeared there in the sky with the angel, and they were singing and praising God, and they said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. And then their story goes on. It says, when the angels had left them, the angels leave them in the middle of the night going to the sky, and when they had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, listen to what they do, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just 
as they had been told. Ah, oh, love the shepherds. I love the shepherds because I think we can all relate to the shepherds, that there's hope for even us. So just for a second, let's go there. Close your eyes. Some of you already have them closed. That's okay. Uh, sorry, couldn't resist. Right, go ahead and close your eyes. When everybody close your eyes, make it dark, make it dark, okay? And imagine you're a shepherd. Two o'clock in the morning, Christmas Eve, you're out there in the fields at night, minding your own business. And then, wham, you can open your eyes. Suddenly, bright light, you're like, oh, the guy's got to adjust, and it's angels in the sky, and they say, hey, got good news, great joy for all people, even you people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, and the Savior who is Christ the Lord. I mean, it's like, wow, this, this angelic message, and what would that experience be like? And I love the shepherd's response. The shepherd's response was, because they, the angels invite him, go and see, go and see. Baby, swallowing clothes, manger, okay? The baby that's in the feeding trough. Be the only one in Bethlehem in the feeding trough, okay? Go find that baby. That is the King of Kings. That is the Lord of Lords. That's the long-awaited Messiah. And so they have this amazing encounter. And verse 15 says, when those angels left, they go and see for themselves. And then what else do they do? They don't stop there. They go and spread the word. And it says that they worshiped. And it says that they glorified God. And they were praising God. And they told everyone about their experience with Jesus. Sounds like something Christians are supposed to do, you know? And they were changed. They were probably the ones that were the least far from home, but when you're out in the fields at night, and that's your like 24-7 job, don't you think you feel kind of homeless? I think they found home here. And then there's the wise men. Now, you know the wise men. If you've been around church long enough, you know how I feel about wise men in the nativity, okay? The wise men should be traveling from afar. You know, they weren't there in the manger the night that Jesus was born. Came a little later. Um, you know, there's always three of them. We know they had three gifts. Probably not three wise men. Because if you read the story about them coming into Jerusalem, it says they caused quite a stir in Jerusalem. Three guys coming in on camels with some, uh, on camels with some gifts are probably not going to stir all of Jerusalem. Most scholars believe 80 to 120 in this band of magi. Now that would cause quite a stir in Jerusalem. As you see this throng of people come in, and they look a little different. They ain't from these parts, are they? No, they're from, they're from out east. Yeah, who are these magi? And then they say, hey, we heard someone's been born king of the Jews. And they're thinking, Herod's king of the Jews. What are you talking about? No, this baby is born king of the Jews. And then they say through prophecy, hey, going to happen in Bethlehem. So they send them toward Bethlehem, and the star leads them there. Well, let's, let's read their story. The story of the Magi is found in Matthew chapter 2. So if you're in Luke's gospel, again, you're going to go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 2 talks about the Magi. Let's begin there with verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? That caused quite a stir. We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Ooh. And verses 3 through 8 there really talk about how Herod 
was jealous and, you know, was feeling threatened by this news and how it had stirred up all of Jerusalem. Then you get down to verse 9, it says, and after they had heard the king, because King Herod says, oh, tell me where, when you find this baby, so I can go and worship him. I mean, kill him. I mean, worship him. And so, verse 9 says, after they had heard from the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it had rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, not to the manger scene, but to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, probably because Joseph was working, trying to make a living, trying to provide for the family so they could get back to Nazareth. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Here's people worshiping Jesus in his presence again. And then it says, And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, then they returned to their home country by another route. It's amazing. The Magi, long journey, 12 to 18 months probably for them. It's interesting. We always talk about the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Do you understand the significance of those gifts? So significant. Gold was for royalty. They're recognizing Jesus was going to be a king. In fact, the king of kings. So they present him at his birth, gold. And then they offer him frankincense. Frankincense is what they burned in the temple and worship services. It was called the incense of deity. And it was to point that Jesus was the son of God. He was part of the triune God. He came to us from heaven, from the heavenly Father. And so they give him frankincense, which signals this baby's deity. But then they offer him myrrh. Now, all of these things they offer him are very expensive. But myrrh was a burial spice. Expensive, very valuable, but a burial spice. Why would you bring a baby burial spice? It was a foreshadowing of his humanity. And that he would die a death on a cross, that he was going to be a sacrifice for all of us. And after they present their gifts, it says that they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they went back to their home. Now, all of these characters in our nativity story are not at home. You know, I was even thinking, sometimes you get this uh, random angel, okay, in your nativity story. Now, was the angel there? We don't really know for sure. Maybe representing the presence of God. Definitely was out there with the shepherds, you know. Fear not, behold, good tidings, great joy, all people. So they're definitely a part of the story. We don't know if they're actually at the manger, but it's okay to have an, have an angel there. You have the animals. You have all of these things. And all of these characters in our nativity are not home. And yet, it's kind of weird, isn't it? When we look at it, we like... But they are, they are home. In some strange way, they are home because they have peace. And they have joy. And they're worshipful. And there's this, this awe and wonder at being in the presence of who? It's being in the presence of Jesus. I don't know if you can see this. This is a legit Jesus. It's got real hay. So... But this baby makes all the difference. This baby is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Prince of Peace. And they all come and find their presence in Jesus. And in, in, in his presence, they, they find hope and they find peace. Because this is what it means, folks. To truly be home, to be truly home at Christmas is to be in the presence of Jesus. So many times we think it's about presence, like 
P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. No, it's about presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. The presence of Jesus is home. And it didn't matter where they were. They could be in a barnyard stable in the middle of the night. It felt like home to be in the presence of Jesus. And it's a reminder to us, not only at Christmas, but we need to be in the presence of Jesus. We need the presence of the Son of God in our lives every day. He sustains us. Scripture says he is the living water. He sustains our life. And folks, don't forget, he made his dwelling among us. John 3.16, we all know that scripture, says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, John 1.14, to make his dwelling among us so that we might feel at home. Can I just give you a warm, warm fuzzy? That's the nativity scene, right? Ah, but there's one more passage, Christmas passage. Sometimes it gets overlooked. There's one more character in the nativity story that gets overlooked. Is anyone, can you, can you figure out who that is? Well, let's just read about it. It's in Revelation chapter 12. So if, if you're not there, go ahead and turn there. Revelation chapter 12, the traditional Christmas passage from the book of Revelation. And everybody should read this every Christmas with your families. You sit around the tree. Here we go. Revelation 12, 1 says, A great sign appeared in the heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Maybe representing the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't know. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now that sounds like a real birth, right? And that's probably how it was this night. You know, we sing silent night. No, it wasn't a silent night. It was a noisy night. I mean, she's given birth. Have you ever heard a woman give birth? Any of you experienced that? Yeah. I mean, you and people that post pictures, those sick people, don't do that to your wife. Don't do that to your best friend as she's giving birth. Come on. And that's how it was. I mean, Mary had just given, just, just given birth. And when you read the first two verses here, Revelation 12, you are thinking the exact same thing that I'm thinking, which is, is this Mary? And like, how can we know for sure? We'll skip down to verse 5. It says she gave birth to a son. Well, checks that box. A male child who, and it's in quotes here because it's quoting the Old Testament prophecy about Jesus, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne representing God's protection of Jesus from the time he was born. And you're like, protection of Jesus from the time he was born from what? Barnyard animals? Certain disease? What is it? Well, we skipped verses 3 and 4 there because there's another character in the nativity. It says, Then another sign appeared in the heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Whoa. I don't remember this part of the nativity story. Do you? You know, we, we, I don't know if they still do this in like school plays and stuff, but uh, we used to act out nativity you could do that in schools back in the day, and, and they may still do that today. I hope they do. Maybe it's in a, a church play or something. But you know how when your kids 
uh, in the Christmas program and they get a character part and how parents talk. You know, like, oh, who's your kid? Oh, my, my, my daughter's going to be Mary. And, oh, that's so sweet. She'll make such a good Mary. You know, and, well, what about your kid's part? Well, he's going to be one of the shepherds. He gets to hold the staff. He's so excited to hold the staff. You know, it's like, yeah, you know. And then it's like, well, you know, who, who's your kid? Oh, my, my kid's going to be one of the little sheep. It's so cute. He's got this little sheep costume he gets to wear. And you, you know how it is. You talk about those things. I mean, can you imagine what it's like if we're being for real here? You know, it's like, it's like well, who's your, who's your kid going to be? Well, he's going to be the red dragon that's going to try to eat Jesus. I mean, who wants to be that, right? Let's be real. Maybe that's why we've cleaned up the nativity set to not include the rad dragon, but, but he's, he's there. See, sometimes there's more than meets the eye in the spiritual realm, folks. There's spiritual warfare going on right here in Bethlehem. I mean, when you read these first five verses, you realize we're in Bethlehem with this red dragon that wants to eat Jesus the moment he's born. And God takes him up to heaven to protect him. It's symbolic of God's protection over him at the time. Well, let's read on. Verse 7 of Revelation 12 says this. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. I have a friend at Ozark Christian College, one of my master's uh, professors. His name is Shane Wood, and he told a story about the nativity. It was about 15 years ago. His wife said, hey, babe, can you help us decorate for Christmas? And he's like, sure. What do you want me to do? She's like, would you, would you put out the nativity scene? And Shane was like, sure, yeah, put out the nativity. I'd love to put out the nativity scene. So he said that he, he had wiped off uh, the top of the piano. That was the traditional place for it. And he said he was, he was setting up the, the nativity scene. And he said, you know, I remembered Revelation 12, and I remember the devil was a part of that. And so um, he got this red, ugly, very evil-looking dragon out, and uh, he set it there in the nativity scene. And then he says that his wife came out of the kitchen and was walking in the living room and said, Oh, babe, you set up the nativity scene. Really good job. Honey, what is that? And if you know Shane and his sarcastic way, he said, Oh, babe, that's a baby Jesus. I mean, don't you know? It's the meaning of Christmas. Baby Jesus, born in Bethlehem, it's a baby Jesus. Don't you know? She's no, 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 honey. No, no, no. What is that? And he says he looked at his wife's dismay as her feeling that you have ruined the nativity scene. And he said, babe, that's the dragon. It's Satan, Revelation 12. You know. You know the scripture. And now 15 years later, when they set up their nativity scene, they have an ugly red dragon in it. And he says that 
he and his family make it a tradition when they read the Christmas account, they always read Revelation 12. Because I don't do that to ruin the traditions of Christmas or anything like that. I do it as a reminder to my family that we have an enemy and an adversary and the devil. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's evil and represents everything horrible and off in the sinfulness and the darkness of this world. And I want my family to remember that. And so we have a red dragon. But I want you to also remember, church, that Jesus, the baby born in Bethlehem, born in the major, is the one that came to save us. Jesus has the power over this dragon. And Christmas, for me, this year, is wrapped up in a simple statement. And I want you to hear it this morning. Everything is going to be okay. Because I know some of you have had a rough year, you're in a rough season right now. I mean, I can't know what's going on in everyone's lives, but I know life in this world sometimes stinks. Because this guy here wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything good, everything light in this world. But I want you to understand the meaning of Christmas, that as Jesus entered the world at that time, in all of its chaos, much like our world today, when the angels announced his birth to those shepherds and said, we have good news of great joy, which is for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Those angels were telling those shepherds, hey, everything's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. And when Elizabeth's child, the would later grow in to be John the Baptist. When he announced the coming of the Son of God, he said, look, here's the Lamb of God who takes away all the sins of the world. He was saying to the people, everything is going to be okay. And when Jesus encouraged people, because he encountered so many that were hurting, and he was, he was telling them to keep their heads up in this world of, of tribulation and all the hardships they would face, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus was saying to those crowds of people and to his disciples, everything is going to be okay. And when Jesus went to the cross and suffered the brutality and the cruelness of it, his act of sacrifice is signaled to a dragon and to everyone else in mankind that everything was going to be okay because this baby kicks this dragon's rear end. Broken wing and all. He cannot keep it together because, and I know that's spoiler alert if you haven't read the end of the Bible, Revelation. He defeats the dragon, we win. And maybe, maybe that clears out the nativity scene. doesn't mean that life in this world is easy and doesn't mean that you always have what you want but it does mean when times are tough and you suffer a loss it does mean in the words of Romans 8 39 that we are loved unconditionally by Jesus and that God knows our situation and we are to put our faith and trust in him and that is the key to survival and to thriving in this world Romans 8 39 says who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble no 
Shall, shall hardship? No. Well, what about persecution? No. What about famine? No. We are more than conquerors. So, folks, we should live like it. We should act like it. We should talk like it. And we should pray like it. Because Romans says that nothing in creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you're in his presence, you're home. And that longing that you feel this season is to be home. But it may not be what you think. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ that you long for.